If only there were more women in top leadership, then others might realise women's equal competence and broad social acceptance of women's leadership, so be inspired to follow suit and engage politically. That's now a widely accepted theory. And this is the whole idea of gender quotas. You know, ramp up exposure and ideologies will change, catalyzing a positive feedback loop. So you'd anticipate that Joyce Banda's presidency of Malawi would catalyze a big increase in women's political engagement and support for women's leadership. Did that happen? No! No, it did not. Before Banda was elected, 80% of Malawians thought women should have equal chance to be, equal chance as men to be elected into political office. But in the months before she lost the presidency, in 2014, only 61% agreed to that exact same question. And women's political participation fell in that election. So why on earth, why on earth does this happen? Why, doesn't female rep- why didn't female representation work in that context? To join more, to learn more, bullshit, I'm learning, to, learn, to learn more, I'm joined by Sarah Liu, uh, Assistant Professor of Political Science at the University of Edinburgh. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Alice. Um, thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure talking to you. Awesome. Okay, well, we'll see. Uh, Right. So most studies on the effects of women's leadership focus on their number, their duration, the women in leadership. You do something different. Tell us what you do. So my collaborator, Kim Dion, and I also look at the percentage of women in national legislatures, like many other gender scholars do. However, what we do differently is that we believe that context matters. Okay. So we argue that the presence of women in national legislatures would have a different impact in different types of environments and Mm. under different types of um, structures. So we look at context where gender equality is more well-rounded and comprehensive versus context where um, women's experiences with, with gender equality is more limited. So in this study, we take con- um, context into consideration by looking at both women's social and political power and statuses and how these two match or not match. And this is where our study differs from other scholarship. Right, yeah. So most studies say, well, if you have women in leadership, then do we see increased social spending or then do we see political participation increasing? And what you're saying is, no, take a step back. It's going to be mediated by context. And by context, what we mean is women's social status. Uh, yeah. The difference between women's social status and women's political status. Right, so this is really important. So you're subtracting a measure of women's social status from their political status. So it's the disconnect between what women have achieved across society and what what gender relations look like across society from what gender relations look like at the top, the upper echelon. Mm -hmm. It's like whether ordinary people, the the, the level of gender inequality in work, in in society, in families, in homes, our day-to-day interactions matches the kind of uh, ratios that we've got at the top. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's me being crudely butchering your argument. Tell me, tell our, our poor uh, academic listeners what you do precisely in your methodology. How do you construct those mm-hmm. variables, those, those sort of composite indicators? Mm-hmm. So um, we look at, um, so um, let's take a step back again. So we look at the difference, right, between women's political status and women's social status. Yes. So looking at women's political status, we look at the measures um, of, you know, for example, women's access to political power, right? Mm -hmm. Um, um, Are women free to organize? Are women free to join political parties? Are women free to participate in politics? You know, both in 
for example, turning up to vote and um, and um, um, and running for office. Hold right? your horses, Sarah. So when you say free here, you mean legislative constraints? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. And we also look at women's social status, and this is where we use the the SIGI measure, the Social mm. Institutions and Gender Index mm. from the OECD countries, um, to measure whether these um, family laws are not only in place but also um, 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 are practiced in reality. So this um, this uh, measure um, um, looks at um, uh, this measure. Um, again, really looks at how women are treated in society, right? So in, uh, instead of asking women how they perceive their own social status, we try to do it in a more objective way mm -hmm. in which we look at how these laws protect women from securing, from having a secure place in society, socially. So just to give an example mm -hmm. of what this um, mm -hmm. SIGI indicator um, looks at, mm -hmm. um, it includes measures on, um, for example, um, whether or not women are... Um, allowed to inherit property um, and, um, and money. From... And does the city index look at the enforcement and implementation of that yes, law? Yes, so it does. So the SIGI looks at how that is practiced in reality. How, how accurate is that data though? So this is my concern. In developing a qualitative cross-national composite indicator, what you're relying on is in-country experts to take it, you know, what they often do is they ask one person to say, look at 10 countries, but no one is an expert on the implementation and enforcement in laws across 10 countries. And I just wonder how reliable is that? I mean, I wouldn't know if you are. How do you construct the same qualitative composite cross national indicator on enforcement? How do they do that? So it's not a perfect measure, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, the way they look at how um, it's in, in implemented in law yeah. and also how it's practiced in reality is, is uh, an approximate mm -hmm. measure of mm -hmm. that. So again, I want to highlight that. I agree mm -hmm. with you. It's mm -hmm. not a perfect measure. Mm -hmm. But again, this... Uh, this goes back to a lot of the frustrations that perhaps gender scholars mm. in, uh, in, in, who study um, um, context um, um, beyond, the, beyond Western democracies right, yes. face, right? There's not a lot of data available. No. So we're trying to do the best that we can with the data that is out there that doesn't only look at um, what sort of laws are in place, yeah. but also considering whether or not they're practiced. No, I'm totally with you because it's not enough just to look at the laws because we know that they may not be implemented. So the laws on the books may tell us nothing. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is, Alice, stop being such an ass. Maybe we don't have perfect data, but it's still important to do this kind of research right. because it gets, we're taking a stab at the question, right. so back off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, okay. And is there, I mean, yeah. Is there any way that we can try to work out how accurate that set, that city index is? I think there are different ways in which, uh, uh, in the public opinion survey data, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, these questionnaires they include um, questions on how women perceive their own social status. Right. right. So perhaps you know, going back to what I said earlier about trying mm -hmm. to study this from a more objective way, perhaps we could find a balance between mm -hmm. the two. Right. Mm -hmm. Studying what's. Um, what's implemented, implemented in the law and what's um, practiced in the law, but also how women perceive whether or not they actually get access, for example, to inherit money from, um, from, their, um, from their parents, right? Right, so um, I'd find that a much more plausible indicator of women's social status, uh, well, 
I, I would see some advantage in that approach because you could ask women, you know, have you been able to inherit mm-hmm. your fair share or mm-hmm. how often do you feel like you've mm-hmm. been discriminated against work, mm-hmm. uh, against in work? And then you could get nationally mm-hmm. representative data aggregating right. those subjective perceptions yeah. rather than the city index, which I thought was often relying on a single expert or a couple of experts right. to... Yeah, but again, it goes back to the data constrained um, mm-hmm. problem, right? Yes. Um, these um these public opinion survey yes, data, sure. they ask only a few questions on gender yeah, attitudes, sure, right? They sure. don't ask a very comprehensive view of that, right? Some, for example, some um surveys may only ask one question on gender um attitudes. Um, one question: on, Oh, do you think like men are better political leaders? Isn't that true? Women, like right? Afrobarometer data often asks like five or so, doesn't it? Not a whole lot. Okay, yeah, I don't okay. think so. But um, I may have to go back and look at that. No, I th- no, sure. no. You're right. You're right. They don't have experience. I don't. I think they they have a question like men should be treated as men. Men have better right to a job when jobs are scarce. Men make better leaders. I think there's something on experience of discrimination. But absolutely, I'm with you for more more perception. Women's perceptions of gender inequality. Okay, right. So let's grant that the city index gets us, moves forward. Then you also look at measures of political engagement. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So we look at five types of um, political engagement. Yes. Um, Interest in politics, Mm -hmm. political discussions, Mm -hmm. voting, Mm -hmm. contacting officers, and collective actions. And these different um, um, forms of political engagement represent actions that differ in costs and risks and also association to um, electoral institutions, um, which really allow us to get a a more comprehensive picture of um, how women participate in politics in Africa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so then you explore the relationship between women's representation in parliament and women's political engagement as mediated by that context we discussed. So differentiating between, you, you have these paradoxical countries and non-paradoxical and paradox-free countries. Mm-hmm. So paradoxical countries are where you've got this big divergence between women's political status and women's social status. Mm-hmm. So that's the representation at the upper echelons and what's life like for oi polloi. Then you have paradox-free countries where there's less divergence. If you've got lots of women doing well at the top, say mm-hmm. 50% representation in politics and 50% share of professional employment, etc., etc. And that can also, and paradox-free countries might also be countries with very low levels of gender, uh, gender equality at the top and very mm-hmm. low levels at the top. So your big interest is in the divergence and whether the impact of political representation on political engagement is mediated by that extent of divergence. Yes. Right. And talk me through how you do that methodologically. Okay. So um, before I do that, I want yeah. to take a step back. To oh, sort sorry. Of talk- no, it's okay. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so please. I just wanted this, um, to, um, to sort of explain how um, the idea of the project came about. Oh, yes, right? yes. So this is a paper that is built off of a previous project that I worked on in which I found um, that Asian women legislators actually have a backlash effect. Um, on women's political partic- participation. And, and this, um, this is particularly contradictory to what's being found in um, Western democracies, right? Where most literature suggests that women politicians um, serve as role models and inspire women to participate in politics. But in this previous study, I wasn't mm. able to explain why that is, why right. there is a backlash effect. So I suspected it was because of the disconnect between women's um, political status and women's social status in Asia that is holding women back 
from participating in politics. Tell me more about this backlash paper. I haven't read it. Tell me more. Oh, so so basically, what I found in this mm-hmm. paper was that you know, women legislators in Asia and thirteen countries in yes. the east and north, uh, in east and southeast Asia, um, um, discourage women from participating in politics. And again, like I said, I wasn't really able to explain why that is. Wait, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me. I'm, I'm very excited to learn <laughs> so, more. Tell me more. So yeah, so that's what I. That's basically what I found. Okay, so what were your increased. methods there? What were your methods there? So I there? used a, a multi-level modeling mm-hmm. approach to 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 um, look at the relationship between women's political representation, which I measure by looking at the percentage of women in national parliament. Yes. Um, and how that affects women's um, various forms of political participation. And was that cross-sectional or looking at large It was cross-sectional. Um, it was a, a cross-sectional study on 13 Asian, Asian countries in which I used a multi-level modeling uh, but how do you know if it's how do you know if there's a backlash if it's cross-sectional? Um, so I looked at the correlation, and what I found was um, in country um, as what I found was wait I'm confused. How do we know there's a backlash? Surely a backlash is women being in politics, and then afterwards there being a backlash. So they, am I being idiotic? Explain. No, so thing? they discourage women. So um, as an as a percentage of women um, increases in national parliament. Um, the uh, woman's political participation actually decreases. In subsequent years? Yes. Oh, right. Oh, so yes. we do look at subsequent years. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. excellent. So, excellent. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so in that study, I wasn't able to explain why there's that backlash mm. um, effect, right? Mm. And again, I suspect it's because of the disconnect between women's political status and women's social status. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. can I just ask, is it, not, is it possible that another thing going on, it's not about the women, their place at the top or in the middle, but how they were treated in the media. So, for example, thinking of Mona Lee Crook's work, if there's huge violence against women, Mm -hmm. or if there were slurs, or if they were consistently sexualized or referred to, you know, if they were saying, is she divorced, is she married, oh, she's Mm -hmm. a slut, she's only advancing because she's sleeping with Mm so-and-so, which we see so often Mm -hmm. in media discourses Mm -hmm. about women, you know, sexualizing Mm -hmm. them, saying rude and filthy things. Could it be that other women saw how women were being treated at the top and that discouraged them? So not necessarily the disconnect between the political representation and the social status, but more just how people were treating women at the time. And of course, that could be mediated by the disconnect, of I course. I think you're right. I think you're right in saying that that's a possibility, mm. right? But at the same time, I would also consider that mm. sort of treatment as part of the social structure yeah, sure, that, sure. Um, um, that um, houses that houses um, women's social status, yes. right? That's how I would view it, right? Because let's say if you're an... If you're an Asian woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter if you see if you have a female head of state, or if you have gender quota laws, mm-hmm. or if you have you know a higher representation of women uh, in parliament, right? If you feel like your lives aren't changed, yes, right. If you feel like you are still oh, experiencing day to day gender based discrimination and prejudice, which could be reflected by the media, right? Then you're not going to be prompt to go out and participate in politics. That was my suspicion. Oh, so your study. feeling was that. Women were saying that women weren't advanced, that women, women voters felt that women politicians weren't advancing their, or answering their concerns. It and so that would be. reduce their political engagement. Right. So, no, so not them standing or running for office, but just them attending meetings or voting. Right, because they feel like your lives aren't changed at all, right? Then why would you be inspired to go out and participate like you might want to in, in a Western democracy, right? 
So I wasn't sure if that theory was correct, right? I want to highlight that. I wasn't mm. sure if that Can was correct. Can I ask another question? Could it, why, why, want, why think that it would be something about the divergence, the disconnect, rather than just levels of patriarchy in the society? So, and this is me being just playing devil's advocate. So for example, I'm, one possibility is that there are women at the top they're doing their thing, and there's this vitriolic, hateful... The, for In England, that would be the Daily Mail saying horrific things. So it would be about the level of patriarchal, sexist, sexualizing, misogynist discourse. Right. Not necessarily about the disconnect. So in a country where you have only 10% women in politics, if there's a very hateful media that might deter women from political participation if you have 20% of women in politics. You know, just is the, just the level of sexist discourse. But there's patriarchy in Western democracies too, right? Mm. So if, if we're looking at mm. uh, the effect of patriarchy, how yeah. that mediates what's going on, right? Yeah. How come we see women being inspired by politicians in Western society? But we, right? might, we might say there might be, it could be that there's a gr- more sexist discourse in the media in some countries than others, and that could deter, and where it is greater, where there is a higher level, that I'm could a, deter women. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant to go okay. that route because mm. I don't want to paint a picture of Asia or Africa being backwards, right? Because, no, no, sure, sure. again, there's patriarchy everywhere. It's, it's not necessarily about the extent to which there's patriarchy, but it's more about how patriarchy is exercised differently, right? So it's not about higher, higher or lower patriarchy. Right, um, but you do, you do, you do create and you do use an indicator or a linear indicator of the level of women's social status, for example. So you are comparing women's social status across countries. And I'm just saying, why not, instead of using that spectrum to measure the disconnect, why not just look at the absolute level of, say, for example, you could look at the number of times the media publicly criticizes women politicians mm-hmm. compared to male politicians. Mm-hmm. So that's nothing, you know, so I think that's entirely consistent with your right. comparative quantitative work. Isn't yeah, it? but then looking at that will not uh, help us get at a com- more comprehensive view, right? It will only be looking at one section of how women are treated, right? And it's also important to highlight that we're What do you mean expand, expand on like that for Like, for example, me? the media, right? Mm. If we look at how the media treat women, that mm. would only be one section of um, how women are treated by society, right? Yes. And um, it's also important to highlight that um, Asia and Africa are the only two continents in the world where there's a huge, a significant disconnect between women's political and social women's political status and women's social status. Right, tell us more about these two differences. So, let's take a step back, right? Yeah, if you yeah, look yeah. at um, how women... Uh, if you look at how women political leaders come to power, right? Yes. Oftentimes, it's that women um, advance their social position in society before they are granted suffrage, before they are, you know, they are encouraged to participate in politics, right? So most of the time you will expect to see these two different measures, like political and social statuses, to be aligned with each mm-hmm, other, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what we see in most parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But Asia and Africa are the only two continents where we don't see that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we don't see that, mm-hmm. right? But in these two continents, um, um, you may have a country or a society where women have very, very high uh, p- uh, political power, right? For example, Taiwan, right, has a, a female head of state, um, has uh, close to 40% of the national parliament in Taiwan is, uh, consists of women, right? Mm-hmm. And there's our gender quotas. Um, gender quotas were implemented since like the 1950s, right? Even during the uh, authoritarian regime, right? So, Go to Taiwan. So it's really interesting, right? But at the same time, 
If you look at how women experience these family laws, for example, right, in Taiwan, there's not really, um, it's not very gender equal when right. it comes to these family laws, when it comes to these um, social. So everyday life is quite patriarchal. Exactly. So, um, and you don't really see that in other parts of the world, but in Asia and Africa. But could it just be that the everyday laws are so patriarchal that it's just very difficult for women to politically engage, that they don't have the permission from their husbands. So regardless, so for example, imagine perhaps the constraints are so big that no matter what's happening for the very elitist, very rich women in the capitals, that just can't, that's not enough to undermine political, they're not enough to undermine perhaps the economic constraints on political mm. engagement. So there it's not about the disconnect between the two, but it's just about the level of obstacles to political engagement can't be undone by however high that political... Right, that is why we control for, for example, women's employment status, mm -hmm. right, right yeah. in, in our study, mm. to make sure that, you know, whatever we're looking at is really taking these other um, possible mm. factors mm. into consideration. Mm. 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 Okay, right. So, now having explored the relationship, tell me what you find in paradoxical countries and non-paradoxical countries. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that women do serve as role models. They do inspire um, other women to come out and participate in politics, right? However, only in paradox-free countries where women's political status and women's social status are closely aligned, are pretty equivalent to each other. In other words, in societies where women um, experience various dimensions of gender equality, not just political, mm -hmm. right? Um, they would be inspired to show interest in politics discuss politics, um, contact government officials, and engage in collective actions when they see an increase in women uh, in women's presence in parliament. Okay. But we don't see that in paradoxical, uh, in paradoxical societies where um, women's um, political status and women's social status are very, very disconnected. Wow, that's so fascinating. I think that's such an important and fascinating finding. And really, no one has looked at anything like this, at this divergence, this idea of this divergence and how that could limit the effects of uh, women's political representation. I think this, and I think a really important part of your research is that you only realised it by recognising these two massive regions which are hugely understudied in mm -hmm. political science. Mm -hmm. Right, and that you know, so much Amer American political science fixates on America, and they don't realize they don't take a step back and do the comparative work. Right, and only if you do the comparative work do you realize that perhaps what's driving the effects that we observe in America is the fact that it's a paradox-free country. Right, you you know, because if you're only looking inside the box, you can't see the wood right. for the trees. Right. You're taking a step back and saying, well, look at these other places. They're not working in the same way. So maybe there's something else that was driving the effects that we all saw in America. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome, and I love that. Okay, but more questions. Um, what about lagged effects? Don't we need to look at lagged effects? Lagged effects. Yeah. Um, so we, only, we, we only look at uh, the lagged effects the best that we could. Mm -hmm. So what we mm -hmm. did in our study was um, we looked at um, how women um, participate in politics as a response to women's um, presence in political legislature. So what we did was we um, used um, our, our dependent variable, like women's political engagement. We look at that a year after women are in political and are in powerful political positions in, in national parliament. So our lagged effect is very limited in looking at only one year difference. So I agree with you. I think you know 
future studies should definitely mm-hmm. explore how this um, effect could be lacked across time, yeah. for example, right? And it's also important... Why was it not possible to do, like, five... Because I think so often, like, it might take a while, one, for me to realise that there's a female prime minister or that there, you know, because female leaders or cabinet ministers get media coverage and it's only after that sustained media coverage, mm-hmm. me learning about their activities, mm-hmm. what they're doing, what they're mm-hmm. up to, you know, the average voter isn't necessarily mm-hmm. transfixed by the mm-hmm. initial cabinet formation, mm-hmm. right? So it's by seeing that sustained media coverage, working out what they're doing. So why was, so I think, you know, some of these effects take a while to percolate right, and affect people's... Right choices aspirations why was it not possible to take a longer you're asking a really interesting question i think that's a that's 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 a great idea for a different project right to look at how uh how much time it really takes for women politicians to to have that role model effect Mm. right so i think that's something we should consider Mm. yeah okay okay there's um there's a nice paper by uh stephanie seguino called plus Mm -hmm. sachange and and she she does five-year light effects after Ah, female representation we'll have to look into that yeah because i think yeah I'm with you. Okay. Um, So one one thing I I have a question on, what's the impact of employment? I thought employment might have an impact. So looking at the individual level, women's employment does have a positive impact on their um, likelihood to participate in politics. So employed women are more likely... Oh, right, that's what we'd expect. Yes, yes. so employed women are more likely than unemployment women to participate in politics. But at the but how, big, how big is that effect? Um, the effect is big. It's pretty oh, right. big. So the individual yeah, woman, the individual yeah. woman, if she's employed, she's more likely to... Yes. And, and that fits with a broad yes. range of yes. research. Yes. So, yes. for example, yes. an individual woman has more economic resources yes. and she has broader social networks and she's more likely to have interacted with other people yes. who've given her critical discourses mm-hmm. or told her about politics mm-hmm. right yeah but at the aggregate level that's where the negative effect of women's employment at the national level right um has a negative so impact. if you if you're in a country with a high share of female employment and you're in a paradoxical country then then women at the top doesn't cause more engagement right spooky spooky yeah. weird and yeah, and then going back to your question about you yeah, know, perhaps yeah. looking at other measures that are not just about you know non agricultural yeah, yeah. sectors, I think you're absolutely right that we need to pay attention to you know like the gender pay gap or like STEM and like women in higher management um, positions and all that. But again, you know this is um, we don't do that because about in the inability. Um, to access data like these, yeah, sure. Right? We don't There's have no gender pay gap, yeah, like yeah, that, right? yeah, yeah. So I think it encourages us to think about you know there's ways in which um, these questionnaires are constructed, yes, right? Yeah. These data are collected, right? Uh, because it's really neglecting a lot of other perhaps you know less traditional um, and perhaps more feminist ways in, uh, for women to to contribute to society economically. Yes, but we're not looking at that. No, for of, sure. I'm with, data, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, I have another question. Another possible variable. I would just shoot thousands sure. of variables. At you. Okay, <laughs> what about city living? What about urbanization? That's something I thought of. Because I thought, for example, in your highly paradoxical countries of Africa, you know, what might be different in Africa and Asia other than these big paradoxes? Because I think that's a big question mm-hmm. to consider. Mm-hmm. And one thing that strikes me is in Africa we have 
relatively low levels of urbanization as compared to mm -hmm. some of our paradox-free mm -hmm. countries, which also happen to be our more economically developed countries. Mm -hmm. So what about urbanization, city living? So we didn't look at the impact of city living at the individual level. It is possible that urbanization could uh, make a difference for a woman's political engagement, right, mm -hmm. under the influence of women's um, political participation. But then again, because of the way our um, data is structured and, and clustered, uh, is clustered in sample countries, if we do control for that, right, using the multi-level model analysis, I don't think it would make that much of a difference for our results. But on the other hand, we also control for GDP per capita, right? So in a way, we it's not a perfect measure, but it should capture how economically developed yes. these countries are. Yes. And yeah. So I guess so on the on the urban thing. So I'm just obsessed with cities. I think one could look at it in two ways. One, we could look at the aggregate level of urbanization, and mm. that you could capture in your model. Okay. Maybe. Maybe Couldn't I don't know. You? There's data on that. On every country, surely there must be data on how much. Urbanization, yeah. yeah. I think percentage living in urban areas okay. or something That's like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Possibly. Because yeah. my thinking would be that in cities, we often see more support for gender equality. And so in countries with that sort of thing going on. Right. It might yeah. have an effect. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. We'll have to a wild guess, a wild guess. Okay. Right. So I have another question. So you find that women's political representation, and I'm so obsessed with it. I think this really is a very cool, groundbreaking way of approaching things. I think it's really cool. I'm really Thank cool, you. Sarah. I'm, I'm <laughs> totally with you. So you find that women's political representation is only associated with women's greater political engagement when, these social and, when women's social and political rights are aligned. And listeners can't hear, but I'm prodding my fingers together, which is obviously very helpful for you. Mm. Um, so even if these were both very low then women's representation would have more of an impact. Right. That's kind of yes. funny, right? Yes. Yes. So isn't that kind of telling me that in, if I'm in a society where women's political representation is high, but the, social but the social status is low, it doesn't have an effect. But if there were fewer women in politics, those few women in politics would actually have a positive effect. Right, so they would still serve symbolically as role models, right? They but would... that's crazy because that goes against one of the earlier theories of critical mass, that, you that only if you have more women in politics does that undermine our confirmation bias. Right. So, that's yeah. that's kind of nutty, right? Yeah. So, but then again, a lot of the critical mass theory only considers um, Western context, right? Yeah, so for most sure. most of the previous studies on critical mass theory is uh, looks at um, comes from a very Eurocentric, American centric um, 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 perspective, right? So perhaps in societies um, in like Asia and Africa where, you know, it's just very, like I said, it's very, very unique, right? You have these societies that didn't go through democratization, you know, like until like 20, 30, 40 years yeah. ago, maybe, right? Um, so um, it really tells us about how like the gender, um, how gender equality or how the gender structure really works differently, how people really view these um, women political leaders. Oh, this is so fascinating, Sarah, um, because I find it really surprising because a lot of the, for example, the social psychological research on, on gender stereotypes, you know, says that, you know, we've got confirmation bias. And even if we see one woman leader, we might dismiss her as an outlier. And we need these multiple disconfirming evidence in order to uh, question our, our, our stereotypes. But that whole idea, and that, that, that builds up the support for this critical mass theory, 
But maybe that's all wrong, Sarah. Maybe you have just blown it open. Okay. I think it's super exciting. Okay. So what's the, I mean, what's the implication of this? What do you do? I mean, what, what, do you th- what, what are your big takeaways from this? I'm so curious what you think. So I think the big takeaway of our project mm. is that we really need to, when we think about gender equality, mm. we really need to take a step back and like broaden our horizon and what yeah. we think gender equality looks like, right? So in addition to paying attention to how women are represented politically, right? In addition to going back to your earlier question about, you know, looking at the numbers of women in mm-hmm. legislature and, you know, the duration of women being in po- powerful political mm-hmm. positions, we need to look beyond that, right? We need to look at how women are also treated in society, no, how women experience um, gender-based discrimination and prejudice on a day-to-day basis, Right, so I think the takeaway is that we also need to consider those different things, those I'm different totally dimensions no, I'm of gender equality when we study the impact of women um, political leaders. And and in that regard, one could use the SIGI, or one could use other construct, right. other composite indicators, whether it's women's perceptions of everyday life or anything. But I think that is a groundbreaking move to say. In order to understand the impact of political representation, we also need to look at what life is like for women in society and how that might mediate the effect. Right. That's huge. Sarah, this is, this is pretty epic. Thanks. This was a real treat to chat. And I'm sorry for yeah. my arsey questions. Thank no, you so no, no, much. No, it was good. Yeah, thank you so much. It was, like I said, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And I confirm, I could, I'm able to confirm that at the end of our discussion. But wait, wait. I also want to say, I think another big takeaway is to stop being so Euro-Anglo-centric. Exactly. Because we, we're not seeing the woods mm-hmm. for the trees. Mm-hmm. We need to take a step back and realize that many of our received wisdoms rely on a very small n number of countries and only if we look more geographically comparatively do we realize that things are different in other places and that can mediate what we're finding yeah yes sarah this is this is super all right right. awesome